Hey guys, back with Nerd Legion this week. Myself, Monte Cristo, and Doa, we're here, and we're not talking about Loki. No. We're not talking about any science fiction or fantasy TV shows or movies this week. Doa Slightly decided... <laughs> sort of fantasy. <laughs> Doa decided unilaterally uh, to make this video with me that no one will watch because no one has ever heard of this movie Surf Ninjas that he made me witness. Yeah. It's uh, currently streaming on no platforms. <laughs> but you can find um, the YouTube you... link below. There is a YouTube yes. link below if you want there is to a... suffer through the entire thing. It's very, it's a very good quality HD uh, YouTube link as well. So enjoy that uh, before it's taken down. But I don't think anyone cares enough to do it. So it's, it's probably going to be up there for a while. Um, but yeah, this is a film that uh, I really loved when I was a kid. <laughs> I really, I really no. like this movie. I watched it so many times. I seriously did uh, because it's got a lot of connections to a lot of other things I like, and 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 we'll get into that. But. Watching it as an adult, I enjoy it for so many different reasons than I did as a kid, because it is one of the craziest, uh, like thought provoking, like bad comedies. It is the peak, like ninja era, uh, like movie in the era, the early nineties era where everything had to be like ninjas and like vaguely Eastern and all that. And, well, it and was like, following the whole Karate Kid phenomenon, right? Yeah, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, sure. all that kind of stuff. This was 93, I think it was. Yeah, 93. Yeah, 1993. Yeah, it and, uh, and... had a budget of $6.5 and it made 4.9 <laughs> at the box office, so way to go. Uh, Leslie Nielsen in his probably most forgettable role ever, but it is the most radical movie ever made. I, I will say, though, uh, that... I was actually surprised that this movie only cost six point five million to make because right? it's kind of impressive. It's kind of impressive in its scope for that budget. I mean, it clearly is a low budget movie, but you would not mm. expect it to have that low of a budget, uh, given yeah. some of the names that are involved and given the kind of, I would say, more exotic locations. They clearly had to travel. I mean, it's obviously shot in Thailand just because of the the stupas. Yep. But if you guys want to watch this, point is, if you guys want to watch this, I was very reluctant to watch this. And I will say, I do think it is worth watching, shockingly, because it is <laughs> yes. very funny. It is very funny. Not, yes. it, it's, it's, but here's the reason why it's funny, guys. It's funny because it fails at being funny. Okay, it's very strange in that the jokes are all just fucking terrible, but they're so terrible they like loop back around to being funny again because it's, it's so very awkwardly done. It's a very quotable movie, though. But let me give you a little bit more background on that because I did go back and do some research on okay. this film. Um, so I, I talked about the budget already, uh, but do you know that uh, a lot of the budget for this movie actually came from Sega? From yes. uh, the Sega video game company to highlight their Sega Game Gear handheld console. That's right. And they also made a movie, uh, not movie, they also made a game of Surf Ninjas at the same time that the movie was being made. The game, in fact, actually came out a couple weeks before the movie was, was released, which is one of the first video game film tie-ins that was kind of planned from the beginning. So there's like a, a weird, like really strong Sega connection to this movie, <laughs> which is so strange. Like it's, it's just, this, everything about this movie is really bizarre in, in like the best way. And, and if you're, if you're not a boomer like us and you don't know what a Sega game gear is, cause that's a very relevant, you can look it up. It wasn't, yes. it was basically a more advanced version of the Nintendo game boy, but it was also mm -hmm. fucking huge 
and <laughs> very like, unwieldy, like but it, you'll see it. It's yeah. everywhere in this film, which is very, very funny because they yeah. have one of the kids in the movie playing this constantly because he uses it. And I, I shit you not guys <laughs> as a tool of prophecy, because he is supposed to be a seer and his yeah. prophetic powers come from seeing what is going to happen on screen in the video game, which, though I must admit, as a marketing tie-in, is uh, actually genius because they can use the game that they, they can advertise the game that they made that has scenes from the film. They just use the game to prophecy what's about to happen, but then you can yes. actually go back and play the game. So my question for you, though, <laughs> did you ever play this game? No, I've never played this game. No, I never I never played it. It looked bad. Um, I, I did play a lot of Game Gear, but I never played Surf Ninjas on Game Gear. I mean, Game Gear, it had a, it had a color screen, which gave it a big leg up right. on the Game Boy, which was at the same time. Um, it did also, however, use six AA batteries to power it, and it, it destroyed those batteries. It was in like, like two th hours Yeah, three less. hours, I remember. Of, it was... Yeah, it was crazy. Atrocious battery life, but... If you had an AC adapter, excuse me, and could sit close to a wall outlet, you were you were good with the Game Gear, you know. <laughs> but why not just have exactly a Sega make Genesis it a good... at that point in time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't make it a good portable system, that's for sure. <laughs> but they also released the Sega Nomad around this time too, which was an even bigger handheld console that could play full-size Sega Genesis cartridges, which is just Sega was doing all sorts of weird things, like like funding this film was probably one of the weirdest things. And by Sega the way, guys, did. this is why Sega stopped <laughs> making hardware. If you if you're not yeah, you know, you know surf ninjas the, the, broke the, them. <laughs> surf ninjas, their budget, their 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 budget for funding surf ninjas combined with uh, the Game Gear and then of course the Dreamcast later on was, uh, was yeah. this just broke Sega's back in terms of being an actual hardware company. What percentage of the budget do you think went to Leslie Nielsen for this? Because he know, wasn't man. in it all that much. He wasn't. <laughs> so Leslie Nielsen plays the villain in this film whose name is Colonel Chi, which is a very unique name, a very well thought out, you know, of course. Doesn't sound generic at all. He, uh, well, do you want to describe Colonel Chi? I want to hear let, let a me, description. Let me, let me describe, let me describe yeah, the plot first. Let me describe the oh, plot sure. first. Uh, go ahead, just go for ahead. people who aren't going to watch this so you can appreciate the rest of the film because the plot, the plot, yeah. plot, the plot is very simple, which is, Flopping it goes plot. like this. Uh, there are two uh, kids uh, Asian mm -hmm. kids who have been adopted by a uh, white dad, and they are mm -hmm. living in for what is inexplicably mm -hmm. a multi-million dollar house right on the beach in Santa Monica, and yet they they own this house, and yet they operate like a burger shack. Not sure how they afford yeah, that, but I, well, <laughs> I mean, obviously he's a, because he was a, he was a lifelong friend of the the uh, royalty of this island, and Patu so they funded it. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So, right. so they funded, they funded it. it. So, so why does he yeah. have to run the Burger Shack, Doa? I mean, there are a lot of questions to keep here. up appearances. You oh, can't just sit oh. around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not mm -hmm. suspicious at all that you would own beachfront property in the middle of Los Angeles and uh, be running a Burger Shack. It's anyway. A restaurant tour. What can I say? <laughs> it's neither here nor there. So there are these two kids. They've been adopted. All of a sudden, they start getting attacked by... They surf. They don't care about school. Uh, they're very... Poorly motivated and educated. Make sure to really drill that they, in. They are '90s <laughs> to the max. Like uh, Bill and Ted look like honor students compared to these kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, 
they then are suddenly attacked by a variety of ninjas, and there is a one-armed, ma- one-eyed man. Yes, ninjas. There's a one-eyed <laughs> man who comes to protect them and explains that, shockingly, they are the crown princes of this Southeast Asian country, which we find out later on when they travel there is just a blob island drawn off the coast of Vietnam, which looks fucking Dude. hilarious. Dude, and also that's... is clearly Thailand, because if you... It, it I have just, so much to say. All of the aesthetics of Thailand are there. It's the, all the architecture of Thailand. Yeah. It was filmed in Thailand. They don't even try and make it not look Thai. Uh, so, but it's a fictional country called Patusan. Now, Leslie Nielsen, pronounce it correctly, Patusan. Leslie Nielsen killed their parents and took over the country in a coup. And mm. he is a white dude who runs around in a. He he got his. I, I am not making this up, guys. In the coup. <laughs> I just described this movie so stupid. Though. I love hearing this. During, this is during the, the coup, of my life. During the coup, his face is stepped on by an elephant. And yeah. so he has to get a mechanical face and hand, a robot face and hand. And right. he runs around with his robot face and hand in samurai armor, which sounds like something that would happen in an anime, but actually is just Leslie Nielsen in real life doing this, which becomes <laughs> yeah. incredibly awkward. Uh, so he takes over this country and the kids go into hiding. He finds them and is trying to kill them because there's a prophecy that the older son will take over the kingdom on his 16th birthday. And so their protector comes to find them, protects them from a bunch of ninjas. And then they go to Patusan and fight a battle and then take over the kingdom. And at the end, it is a very Bill and Ted ending where they just say, well, thanks for making me king. We're a democracy now. I give this back to the people. Everybody cheers, <laughs> yep. and then the movie ends. Um, and they end it with a dance scene, like every '90s movie has to end. Uh, it's contractually obligated. If you're making a movie in the '90s, it has to end with a group dancing scene. <laughs> oh, oh. Also, Doa, yeah. I forgot because he's completely extraneous to the plot. Is mm-hmm. Rob Schneider is playing a teenager, and Rob Schneider is uh-huh. clearly like a man in his 30s in this film and he is playing a teenager and he is the most deeply unfunny sidekick <laughs> of all time saying the most I... canned stereotypical lines being awkward so for some reason this movie contains both leslie nielsen and rob schneider both being fucking terrible uh well i think it's rob schneider's best role personally i, think <laughs> I mean he is terrible in general he, he, been, is te- but... he is terrible in general so i I might be able I, to give you that. I think but he's got some great lines in it too. Like his character is basically like a coward that hangs out with these guys. And like, he doesn't even surf. Like they make the joke earlier that like, uh, he just spends the entire time there. They're at the beach, just waxing his board, but he never gets, gets in the water. And then when they leave, he's like, Oh man, I was just about to like start the, like he's obviously supposed to be a cowardly character, but he's got, he's got great stuff. Like when they're escaping the house, when the ninjas are attacking him, he says like, I normally I'd stay and fight to the death too, but it's a school night. But it's, you know, it's so there are good lines in that. But, uh, well, I think it's funny anyway. But uh, let's, <laughs> no, this let's is talk... one of the worst written movies I've ever seen. <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about the cast, though, first, before we get into this. So th- there's a lot of interesting stuff with the cast going on here. So uh, Neil Israel uh, directed the film. Uh, he also plays the school principal in the in the beginning. Uh, that's upset with uh, with. um. Oh my gosh! Why am I forgetting the main character's name? Uh, Zach? No, you know what I mean. The older, the older of the two kids, Johnny. Johnny, right? Johnny and Adam. That's what it is. I don't know why I forgot that. But anyway, he's mad at Johnny for not remembering to prepare a, a you know, a 
welcoming for the uh, the um, Baba Ram of Mikrop, which ends up being this holy man from Patusan. So they, that comes back around later. Um, but he uh, he's mostly directed a lot of like kids TV and films uh, up through 2015 or so. He was one of the writers on the original Police Academy movie, which was a, a famous comedy in the 1980s. Um, so he's 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 been around. Uh, then we got Rod Rob Snyder, of course. Um, we've got uh, the two stars of the movie, in my opinion, are uh, Ernie Rise Sr. and Ernie Rise Jr., who are two famous uh, martial artist stuntmen uh, in Hollywood. Ernie Rise Jr., who plays Johnny, also played Kino in Teen- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, and he was in the Donatello suit for the action scenes in the first movie, so he kind of made this transition from, um, you know, stunt person, martial artist to actor. His dad was a stunt person in Hollywood for a long time and plays uh and plays uh Zatch, his uh their their uncle in the movie. It's actually his dad in real life. Um so there's there's that. Nothing about the kid. I got nothing about that kid. He was just in that movie and then disappeared forever as far as I know. Uh they're they're sort of like streetwise police officer friend that joins them on their journey is uh Tone Loke, who's a multi Grammy nominated rapper and R and B guy from the late eighties and early nineties. What is he doing in this film? Who knows? Uh, what is anyone doing in this film? Who knows? Um, Kelly Hu, who plays Romay, the the princess that is promised to Johnny, who everyone's just kind of okay with this for a while, but then they agreed to just date instead of get married at the end. Um, she's had a, a very long and successful career in acting yeah, and voice quite acting, famous. too. Yeah, she was uh, Lieutenant Ozawa in the Orville, if you've uh, seen that, which is a great show. And uh, she does a lot of voice acting stuff. She was in Vox Machinima. She does one of the voices in Mortal Kombat 1. I can't remember which one. She was so, in X-Men, yeah. too. Like, the actual yeah, good, so, you know, the big X-Men movies. I'm not going to say good, big X-Men movies. <laughs> yeah, so she she went on to be very successful in both acting and voice acting. But uh, but she's in this film. I don't know if she wants anyone to remember that. But I would, because it's, it's a fun film. Yeah. Then we get to Leslie Nielsen. Why is he <laughs> why is he dressed like well, a samurai? But the thing is, this movie too, when you look at this movie, it's it's at the peak of that whole like obs, you know, obtuse ninja craze that struck America in the early 90s, which was not done in we'll say the most culture, culturally respectful manner to not just uh, Japan, the source of actual ninjas, but just Asian cultures in general. Everything became kind of just blended together into sort of like a mysterious martial artsy kind of way. Um, and this movie, it uh, it almost feels like kind of just acknowledges that and and kind of makes a, a joke out of how bland it's all become, where they, they invent this obviously fake island, right? They on the map that you were talking about, it's like very obviously just like painted in. And I think it's supposed to be obvious that it's not, you know, a real place. There's I love that little scene where they're showing the, you know, Indiana Jones style ship, you know, going across the map. Because at the beginning of the movie in school, they talk about how like neither of the kids know where Spain is on the map. And then it shows their travels. It shows the ship leaving from Spain and then going down <laughs> through the Panama Canal and like going to Southeast yeah. Asia. So it's like there's a there's a lot of like that little great moments in that movie. Yeah, there well, are some genuinely and like I said, funny at the end too, when yeah. they go to Patusan, it, what mm. I liked about it was it was like this hand shittily hand drawn island off the yeah. coast of of Vietnam in Southeast yeah. Asia, and, and it it's just looks so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're acknowledging that, like, there's nothing to do with real ninjas in this. It's all, like, vaguely, you know, East Asian, Southeast Asian and all that. And they're not, like, attempting to really do it right. And Rob Schneider is there as sort of, like, 
a send up of the whole like white savior trope, right? Where you've got this like indigenous culture, or whatever that needs some like white guy to come in and save them, you know, which you saw in a lot of movies going up to that and all that. But, but it's, it, his character is sort of like a joke on that take because he thinks he's the hero through the entire thing because he misunderstands what the guy says at the beginning, what the eye patch guy says at the beginning about who the prince is. And so he goes through the entire movie imagining himself as the hero and himself as the prince and all this kind of stuff. And so I feel like that that is kind of like a, a satire on like that type of movie that you would have the the white person come in and save the indigenous culture kind of sure. thing, you know? I mean, he also- so I thought that also... was kind of a funny aspect of it too. Good thinking, oh, patched one. Let them think they're the real crown princes. We'll use them for decoys. Yeah. He also like spouts off some some of the I mean this movie is just chock full of like 90s jokes that yes. don't make any sense anymore such as when Rob Schneider just when they're eating at the restaurant and he walks up and he just says to the chef hey it's something along the lines of hey do you put MSG in the food even when we ask you not to put MSG in the food <laughs> the guy just says yeah because in the 90s there was a whole panic about especially Chinese food and MSG mm. even though we know that MSG has nobody's actually allergic to MSG right that was ridiculous in the first place but some people in the 90s were really convinced like white people were like really convinced that they were allergic to MSG <laughs> which is the stupidest thing ever yeah. um, so like Almost there's like some gluten? there's some jokes like that there's some jokes like when when uh, the ninjas break into the burger stand and attack them and all the cops are there. These guys come by and they're like, hey, you know, it's good because the cops are eating here, which is another <laughs> just famous fucking like 90s stereotype where you're supposed to go to the restaurants where the cop cars are at lunch because they know the best spots to go. Excuse me, are you open? Really, they got killer shakes, man. It's worth the wait. You know, the food is good because, you know, cops. And so yeah. even though they're there because they're responding to the break in, the the people are are showing up because they see the cop cars there anticipating that the food is good. So there's a bunch of just like if you don't know these jokes, first off, they're bad jokes in the first place. Let's be very clear. They're not funny. They're not funny. Sure. I'm like kind of enjoying them. Though, <laughs> yes. Because, again, what's so amazing about this movie is that the jokes are not funny, but. It, it kind of loops around full circle to being funny again because of yeah. how deeply unfunny this movie is. You're, you, you're so baffled by how terrible the writing is that you just end up, you just end up having a good time. I, well, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, exactly. Well, I, cause I feel like it's, I feel like the movie is very aware of what it is. And so it uses uh, all these like tropes that just became done to death in the nineties with these like ninjas, martial arts films. And it, it does them in an intentionally like very ham fisted way for comedic effect. Like it's, I think it's supposed to be like that. It's supposed I, I to be a so. satire of those films to a certain extent. <laughs> there's it's no not way. outwardly a satire of those. No, but no, I think there's, I do there's, feel like there was some intent there. There is no way that you I I, I disagree with you because there's a, okay. Leslie Nielsen is genuinely a very funny actor, right? You look at Naked yeah, Gun, sure. you look at Airplane, Airplane. these movies yeah. are are amazing, right? And there's no way that they're intentionally doing this because they would intentionally use Leslie Nielsen more and they even squander all of the on-camera time that they have with Leslie Nielsen because they either oh, yeah. use him in action sequences, which are not funny and like don't even play into his slapstick, you know, his whole slapstick persona, right? Mm -hmm. They do it very badly, but 
Also, most of his screen time is just listening to a recording of him on an answering machine while he runs around his torture cave. I'm not oh, making you this didn't up, like guys. the reoccurring answering machine joke? How <laughs> why, topical. Why, why would oh, you? 90s. Yeah, I mean, it's just so 90s, right? Hi, this is Colonel Chi. I'm not in right now, but if you leave your name and number and the time you call, they get right back to you. And don't hang up. Hello? Why? Yeah. Why the fuck? Would you use <laughs> Leslie Nielsen to make uh -huh. these kind of jokes? And like the funniest thing you could figure out with Leslie Nielsen to do is for him to be running around his torture cave, trying to answer a phone and then failing like three or four times within this movie. So I disagree. I, I think I think I they had no clue what they were doing. Because I'm not saying all of it is that way. <laughs> I'm saying I'm getting. I said I got hints of it. I got hints. Of I think it, this is all. completely accidental. <laughs> well, either way, whether it is accidental or not, it is. This movie is a is a joy to watch uh, for for a lot of reasons. But but yeah, I mean, I I think it it does. I think it I think it does to a certain extent. I really do believe that they are kind of doing a little bit of a send up of like the the flattening of of Asian culture that happened at that time. That they were aware of like how badly it was all being treated and so they kind of did their movie you know with asian stars to sort of make fun of that stuff i i do i do feel like that vibe is there. i wish i could ask the people that were making the movie if that was actually intended because that's the that's a feeling i get anyway after living through that era and experiencing all that kind of stuff like three ninjas come on all that all that kind of three ninjas <laughs> kick back like all that stuff right so i mean at the end of the day though when this movie concludes it's still about a couple of kids who were born into the aristocracy who have literally zero connection to their culture because they were adopted as small children serving as liberators and bringing democracy to the people, which implies that the people were not capable Fair of doing enough. that themselves. So I'm not sure it's really a good look. <laughs> okay. All right, look, that's a good point. They are, they are super American. There is nothing about these kids that, Reminds you of Patusan at all. They have no idea of the traditions. They are actually yeah. just garbage students who surf all day. <laughs> and they are the ones bringing enlightenment and democracy to the masses of Southeast Asia. So I'm not going to sure. say this isn't like, it's that's not a, fair, a great That's look. a fair point. Not, not all of it. I got hints of it. I got hints of it. All right. Well, I mean, it doesn't get much more American than their adopted dad is is a, a big guy named Mac who runs a burger place. Like they're, you know, it's intentional. That part is intentional. <laughs> But I mean, I don't know, like this, my, my friends and I are, who were, you know, lived through that era and watched this movie together and stuff, but if we were kids, like we still quote, money can't buy knives to each other. Because <laughs> there's a scene where, you know, they're describing these mystical knives and, and he described the, and, and Zatch, their kind of their guide describes them as like uh, something that money can't buy because there's, they're these ancestral weapons, right? But then Rob Schneider just takes it as, you know, you just can't like literally can't purchase knives and then goes on a big monologue about how money can't buy knives. So, and that is, that has stuck with me for, for many, many years. Once I went to a company store and said, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Can I buy a knife? They said, no, money can't buy knives. Yeah. Whenever knives come up in conversation, somebody in my friend group is always like money can't buy knives. <laughs> it is a funny line. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff like that. So I don't know. And, uh, choreography wise, like fight scene wise, you know, for, don't worry about Leslie Nielsen. He's doing his best, but like Ernie Rice Jr. And Ernie Rice Sr. They're, they're both great martial artists and, yeah. and, you know, 
they they get to put that on display here they get to fight with each other which i'm sure was fun you know as a father-son duo to do that kind of stuff um so it, it's the movie uses them and their skills well i feel like um, it also and, goes and to show like, why okay. you shouldn't take stunt people and then put them into leading roles you know we also got evidence of that <laughs> I thought Ernie Rise Jr. was was pretty good, and he was like so fully committed to to the role, and like uh, played the like <laughs> dumb, you know, ignorant surfer kind of person like super well. I I thought it was great. Yeah, maybe I just have a soft spot for this film, but it gave me a lot of pleasure throughout the week. I was giggling to myself constantly, imagining you watching this. So yeah, I, look, I had <laughs> I had more fun than I than I thought I would. Uh, <laughs> I I will say that I'm glad I didn't. Did you have watch to... it by yourself? Yes, I'm glad I didn't okay. have to pay to rent it. I will say that, yeah. but I did have a good time. I did have a good time. Like I th I think at the end of the day, if you want something, it's it, if you want a piece of '90s Americana, it's a niche pick. It's only an hour and a half long, so it goes by pretty quickly, it is nice and, and you get to see actors like leslie nielsen that you think would never ever take these roles and why the hell are they in this movie and it mm. is comically low budget at times and the product placement is to put it mildly <laughs> intrusive <laughs> <laughs> so we got we got you know sega game gear of course because the kid sees like the future and he's, he's prescience through the game gear but what, it actually what else is a what good, other... it, that actually is that was one of my favorite parts of the, the movie because the prophecy gimmick for the time yeah, the prophecy is the prophecy is that the older brother is going to become a warrior prince and the other mm. the younger brother is a seer prince, I think. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And so this is the prophecy that they're going to become these things. It turns out that Sega's Game Gear is the you know, he doesn't need to, uh, you know, read birds taking off in flights or tea leaves he just reads mm -hmm. the he reads the game gear <laughs> this is like, that's his tool his tool of prophecy which is amazing and like so very 90s but it's also one of the i really have to hand it to them because i don't know if there was a better way to integrate a game sale into a movie where they show actual gameplay from the game they're developing yeah. And tie it into because at the time, guys, when you made when you made uh, game adaptations of movies and these were very common in the in the 90s, you would go scene by scene through the movie. That's how the games worked. It wasn't like an mm -hmm. expanded universe. It was literally just you playing through levels that reflected parts of the film. And yeah. uh, so this was a very clever way because of the way they made game tie ins with films at the time in order to show the gameplay and entice people to buy it. And, you know, honestly, I suspect they made money off of this movie. They, you know, a six point five million dollar budget and a five million dollar return. I think it's probably not too ridiculous to think they made a few million dollars from selling copies of this game. Maybe Sega recouped their losses, but then again, they yes. did have to exit the console market less than a decade later. <laughs> That was more the. I don't think Surf Ninjas. I don't think Surf Ninjas was what did it. CEO of Sega's like Surf Ninjas. No. Yeah. Yeah, but it's uh there, I I just there's just a lot of like funny moments I like in that movie. Just a lot of like sight gags and things like where 
they're they're beating up the ninjas and things like that. Well, no, a ninja tries to attack them in the water while they're surfing for some reason, and he gets hit in the head with a surfboard. And then there's a scene where there's a child building a sandcastle, and like the ninja like washes up behind him for just a moment, and then just gets pulled back off screen. And like... yeah. There's just really funny my, my little favorite part of like that, that yeah. scene is that you think there's a lot of suspense because you see this yeah. buildup of the ninja of the water with this like very <laughs> shiny harpoon gun and mm-hmm. he's taking aim at them while they're on their surfboards. And then for some reason, he just never pulls the trigger. That, that was the most confusing part yeah. to it is that they're close enough. It, he, Johnny is close enough to run into his head with the surfboard, but he never just actually just shoots him with the harpoon gun for reasons that I can't possibly comprehend. It. Surf ninjas, don't worry about it. But th- there's that. There's a scene where like Zatch, uh, the the bodyguard for the the royalty, comes and and he's been watching the kids for all these years. And now he finally has to come and grab them and to get them out of harm's way because Colonel Chi has sent his ninja assassins. But he's he's giving them the backstory on who they are and what happened with Patusan. With their with their home nation, and so there's this big this big long backstory kind of flashback thing, and then it cuts back to them, and they're sitting there, and both the kids are like so extremely bored, and then they're like, oh okay, like that was a great story, that, and then he starts another part of the backstory, and they're like, oh no, and so it's you know, it's the whole like long flashback thing, but our stars just like couldn't care less about all of it. That's yeah, that's funny stuff. I I like it. <laughs> what else is there to talk about? I feel like when when we get to the island, things slow down a little bit. Um, oh no! Before we like... get to the island, we have to talk oh, about yeah. how Johnny. Uh, this was really, you know, just a precursor to the Matrix with the I know Kung Fu mm-hmm. bit, because all of oh, a yeah. sudden, because his prophecy is that he becomes the Warrior Prince. Now he doesn't know mm-hmm. how to fight at all, right? And then all yeah. of a sudden, after he goes to this restaurant uh, uh-huh. that serves. Patusani, Patus, I guess. Patusani cuisine. Yes, Patusani right. cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, he he then gains the power to be an extremely good martial artist and beat up the ninjas yeah. on his own, where he was relying on Zatch, his one-eyed protector, previously in one of the most ridiculous sequences. <laughs> I think this is this is way up there with that scene. Um, uh, the scene in the Thirteenth Warrior where he just suddenly learns oh. how to speak. It, oh uh, yeah, you know Norse, well, old Norse. At, at least in that scene, they imply that it happens over a period of time, not just instantly. Like they show him like listening around the campfire. They they do the slow fade transition to show you that he's been listening for a while. And so that is low key one of my favorite. That one of my favorite scenes in yeah. cinema, just because it's so silly. So the Thirteenth Warrior, if you guys don't know, it's a it's a Michael Crichton adaptation of the book Eaters of the Dead, where Antonio Banderas, of course, uh, plays a, a a Middle Eastern man. Um, why As not? He do? Yeah. <laughs> I guess he was he was close enough to Middle Eastern for for uh, you know the average white American for a viewing audiences they couldn't tell a difference in, uh, in the focus groups I guess so I guess it's fine he actually does do a good yeah. job that movie though jokes aside um, I, I actually actor. really I actually really like that movie um, yeah, but anyway movie, yeah. anyway he he is he's a traveler from the Middle East and he goes and lives amongst the Vikings uh, and there's a scene in that film where he is 
sitting around the fire, as Doa said, it's very iconic where he's listening and they're they're mm-hmm. speaking in Old Norse, and then sl- slowly he starts to, like understand words, and then he just starts speaking it because they need him. They need to they need to have him be able to communicate with all of the Vikings for the rest of the film. Yeah. So they had to find yeah. a very quick way to make it so that happened. It's also like you know a bit like the. The Hunt for Red October, where they're all speaking Russian at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, this is too annoying because most of the movie is just going to be in Russian with English subtitles, and nobody wants to listen to Sam Neill and Sean Connery try and speak Russian. So they just <laughs> – there's a scene where they just zoom in. Um, I think it's on Sam Neill's mouth, on one of the characters' mouths, nice. and then they then they zoom out, and like it switches to English when they zoom in on his mouth, and there's just an English for the rest of the time until they meet the Americans, and then it goes back to being Russian. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's the old, you know, it's a tried and true thing. If you need your hero to get something done in a long time, you just have a montage, right? This is just a linguistic <laughs> training montage, basically. But yeah, so so he just instantly that, he instantly learns martial arts enough to beat up all of these grown men. Although we find out yeah. later that this guy is just unreasonably jacked because when he takes off his shirt when giant takes off his shirt later in this movie he is no teenager has never looked like that by the way no <laughs> teenager has ever been that jacked uh so i mean he might have failed enough years to i feel like i would believe all these kids have failed enough years to be where they are in high school you know it is possible that's that's one alternative we didn't think of in universe wise but yeah he he learns that he had the the power within him the whole time um, I, I said we don't have we don't get a montage. We actually do get a montage in this film. Do you remember? There's a montage where they uh, teach all the Padasani militia to surf towards yes. the end of the film because yep. the young Adam uh, with his mystical seer abilities uh, looks out at a forest of trees and realizes you can build surfboards out of wood, which <laughs> I think they've been doing for a while. <laughs> so yeah, so they do that. That's uh, how long do you think it takes to build a surfboard? Well, I think because it doesn't take very long in this. It, film. it seemed like the Game Gear was doing it for them, right? It was populating. No, it was no, changing no. Changing the was... trees into the. I know they talked about no. the, the carving abilities of the Patusani people. Yeah, they do. They do explain it away. That's the thing in this movie is that they do have like a little explanation in the film for pretty much everything that happens. They try. They try really hard to cover all their bases, you know, which yep. uh, you know. Even even the Babaram of Mikrop, you know, at the beginning, this this holy man from from Patusan, which they don't know he's from Patusan until at the end of the movie, he shows up to give his blessing to them, and they're like, "Oh, it's the same guy." And then they play Babaram. The Babaram. The, what's that? What's that old like rock song? Barbara. Barbara. Barbara Ann. Barbara Ann. Right. Because it kind of sounds like Babaram. That's the joke. The, and that's the only part of the joke. So they literally sing yep, Barbara Ann. Except they replace Barbara Ann with Babaram, and then none of the rest of the lyrics. Do they replace any of the rest of the lyrics? No, yeah. it's just Barbara Ann, and they replace only Barbara Ann with Barbaram. So it's deeply yep. not funny because it's the yep. laziest way you could do that. And this yeah. this just reeks of somebody doing way too much cocaine and then being like, but what if they it's sang really Barbara Ann, but it was Bar Barbaram. 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 <laughs> and then literally the end of the film is the entire song of Barbara Ann with everyone in the village like singing and dancing and doing this like sort of rock thing. It's it's a group dance number. It's how you gotta end nineties films. But the entire thing is yeah, Barbara Ann only it's Barbaram. But uh maybe I think they actually do Barbara Ann at the end. Because they paid for the song, you gotta, might as well use the real lyrics, right? But, no, they uh, use Barbaram oh. at the end too. <laughs> oh, right. Because okay. the Barbaram is actually singing in that. But I thought then version. they swap. 
then they swapped oh, they swap the real later? version then. I thought right. they did. I don't know. I'll have to go back and watch again, I guess. You know, my 800th time seeing certain <laughs> ninjas. But uh, Leslie Nielsen has a running joke the entire time, too, where his, his robotic arm, um, like, bugs out all the time, um, especially if it gets wet. Uh, so we get a hilarious moment where it gets wet and he punches himself in the groin because that was the only physical comedy that existed in the 90s pretty much. Was Imagine wasting Nes- Leslie Nielsen's physical comedy doing this, though. He is, com- like, yeah. well, how? here's my question. What the fuck was Leslie Nielsen doing in this movie? At some point as an actor, especially one as talented as him, you you have to you have to take some level of responsibility for the quality of your own performance. Like mm-hmm. him improving would probably be funnier than anything that he did actually in this film. It's so oh, wild yeah. to see him stoop this well, low. So I heard that you need to do a certain number of like things each year to keep your Screen Actors Guild insurance or something like that. And so this is might have been one of those moments where it's like, oh, I got to get like an extra like film or two done. It's like, oh, Surf Ninjas, how much are they paying? Like, ah, well, I'm only on the screen for like 15 minutes of the whole movie. Like, okay, okay, what? Only shoot it on two sets? I get to go to Thailand? All right, yeah. So I think Leslie Nielsen just basically like took a vacation to Thailand Collected a check, uh, you know, I, I feel like he put some effort into it. You know, he I don't feel like it's funny to say he's not phoning it in because most of his scenes are him talking on a phone. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's I wouldn't say he's not trying. <laughs> I would just say it's not his best work. That's all. <laughs> I would definitely say he's not trying. Although <laughs> if I was Leslie Nielsen and I got my face just stamped all over trucks and stuff with this like silly mask logo and also all the uniforms of the ninjas i mean it's pretty funny to have your it face just <laughs> leslie Nielsen's sure was face just on everything <laughs> it does seem like the people who are in the film are having fun being in the film I, let know? me let me talk about some things i actually liked about this because i think one of the okay. more impressive things is how far the budget went like i again yeah. i said this at the beginning i didn't think this was a six million dollar movie because they actually have some impressive sets leslie nielsen's torture cave is kind of no joke. You know, it's a pretty large set. It's pretty complicated. For as little as it's in the film. Yeah, for especially for as little yeah. as it's in the film. They definitely didn't, you know, they got, they kind of maximized their dollar value, I really feel. Mm-hmm. A lot of the scenes that are set in Thailand, um, you know, have a lot of the the, the Thai stupas and, and architecture in there, and it's used pretty well. Honestly, the scene where they teach them to surf and then they're all surfing in a row with, with the helicopter shots is pretty good. Like it's yeah. actually pretty good. It's impressive they managed to pull off all the stunt work that they did on that budget, particularly with large numbers of people. A lot of the time, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the fight sequences are often not one or two ninjas. They're like twenty. So, you yeah. know, and it um, goes all out. It, it does. It definitely like goes a, all out. And you and I think they blow that up a house. They, they blow. Up a house they in do. The movie too. Oh, that that also, yeah. by the way, is hilarious. Where he turns Zatch. <laughs> this is so funny, guys. <laughs> this is peak nineties. Yeah. So in order. It's one of those uh, it's one of those Hernan Cortez moments where once you get to the new world, you burn the ships behind you. So to motivate your troops. So there's no going back. Right. Yeah. Which which Zatch shows up. And in order to force them to live the prophecy, (laughs) he goes into their house while the ninjas are attacking, gets them out of the house. But while he does so, he opens the oven, turns on the natural gas and just leaves a tiny little candle on a stool and then of course Mm -hmm. 30 seconds later the house blows up in like a nuclear explosion that would have taken out half the neighborhood Uh, by the way building for that too yeah look i don't think they blew up a real building for that do you no way i mean 
They blew up something big. I mean, I think they just set off explosives, but and it, who knows what they did. But it's an impressive shot for a $6 million yeah. film. But yeah. I do love how they, they're just like, hey, you blew up our house. Nobody's concerned about the fact that that level of explosion would definitely have leveled like several neighbors' houses. It definitely would have killed people. Also, it's not just con- hilarious to think that, that it would be so easy. Just leave your oven on and put a candle there and it's just going to explode half the neighborhood. It's great. You know, that is that is like a running joke with Zatch's character, too, is that he's like he's like very actively forcing them along this path. Like it's the most reluctant hero's journey story ever, because when they get to the island, too, like the joke is that uh, they they find out like, oh, maybe we could like, oh, it's on the other side of the island. Maybe we could like use a boat. And Zatch is like, I sank our only boat. (laughs) Put a hole in it. Soon it will sink to the bottom of the ocean. Seriously, that's an excellent place to hide it. Yeah. What if we're getting hammered and we got a bail? We shall either be victorious or in our graves. But also it wouldn't have so, gotten there anyway, he says. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like the fact that they get there and then he sinks he, the boat yeah, too. It's he, like, he literally yeah. he literally does he does the literal Cortez later where he actually does yeah. sink the boat so they can't leave. <laughs> but I also yeah. love because Zatch comes in and he, the first when they refuse to go with him the first time he just says Well, I don't have to worry about this because the prophecy is going to come true no matter what. So goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then later he just decides he's going to make the prophecy come true through his own action. So he actually doesn't wait for the prophecy to come true like he says he's going to. He's like, I don't have to take any actions here. Prophecy's going yep. to come true. You're going to come with me oh. no matter what. And he's like, hey, this he isn't going it. fast enough, so I'm going to blow up your house. <laughs> <laughs> Blows up the house. He sinks the boat. He, he basically kidnaps them. Um, although their adopted father does tell him to take them because they are being attacked yes. by ninjas and all that. And, and he is their uncle. He is no joke. He is their uncle. That's right. <laughs> And he's the literal father of one of the of, of Johnny in, in real life. So yeah, not in the movie. The movie's just the <laughs> uncle. But uh, there's and and uh, the the I thought it was going back like the whole that the princess aspect of it is slightly uncomfortable for a while for most of the movie because so there there's so Kelly who plays a uh, uh, Rome who's a princess of Patusan has been promised to him which is kind of interesting because she so her, we're we're told her character is promised to the the prince as like a betrothal kind of thing like she's supposed to marry him but yet these princes have been missing for like their entire lives nobody knows where they are I guess except for maybe Zatch so wouldn't they kind of like let her out of that at some point if they kind of thought the princes were kind of gone and never coming back but anyway they show up at this restaurant which she apparently is also at inexplicably uh and then everyone's like yeah cool so she's just gonna marry him yeah it's just what you know it's, it's her it's her destiny you know it's just how it is and everyone's just fine you know with it and then and then you know it and that's so that's kind of it's slightly uncomfortable you know to to consider throughout that but then the end they were just like uh they just agree that they're gonna date. They're not actually gonna gonna get married. They're gonna date first and see if they want to get married. So it does go it does all get resolved towards the end. But I do like that uh that like, you know, there's there's this big moment where she's like she's wearing a veil and, and she was revealed to him and she's beautiful because of course everyone expects the joke to be that she's like hideous or something, because it's the nineties. And uh but and you know, the and Johnny, the main character, doesn't want to do and he, and he walks up to her and the first thing he says is, So you wanna go to the mall sometime? You want to go to the mall sometime? Way to close the deal, Casanova. And like, I thought that was a, I thought that, <laughs> that was, was very funny, 90s. Funny you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just a this 90s like dumb every... surfer guy. He's like, this is supposed to be your betrothed. And you're like, hey, you want to go to the mall? <laughs> so, yeah. He doesn't, I, I he like doesn't know better. I, it is, it yeah, is exactly. peak 90s though. And yeah. 
I mean, it does play on a lot of those 90s teenage tropes because that's what you did in the early 90s was as a teenager, you went to the mall because there was nothing else to do. Yeah. And the so mall had everything you wanted. <laughs> it's conceivable that his character would literally not know yes. how to handle the situation other than asking would if she wanted that. to go to the mall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so I like that. And then you've got like, you know, uh, Rob Schneider's character at the end when they all have to like surf to the other island or whatever, surf around the other island. And he finally admits that he's, he doesn't know how to surf. And they're like, yeah, we know. It's like, it's, you know, they're, they're like, yeah, we know you're just kind of like the goofy sidekick. But because uh, that's kind of like a running thing. It's like, oh, he's going to have to surf. But then everyone learns how to surf really fast, which, I mean, surfing is not easy. That is not an easy thing to learn. <laughs> just like an afternoon. I'm, I'll, I'll tell you. Also, there was no so. reason they actually had to learn to surf because they could have just, lie, you know, just been lying on the boards and paddled over to that other island. But then you wouldn't have the surfing part of Surf Ninjas. Look, Doa, it was there yeah. aren't even Surf Ninjas in this movie. There are people who surf, yeah. and there are ninjas. There are no Surf Ninjas. That's it's true. Yeah, because there's uh, <laughs> because the people who are ninjas don't surf, and the people who surf are not ninjas. So. Exactly. The ninjas are the yeah. ones who are attacking them in the ninja clothes. They're the special yeah. forces of Colonel Chi. So I was also disappointed because there were not, no actual surf ninjas in this movie. They were just people yeah. surfing that were getting attacked by ninjas with harpoon guns. It's a well-known thing, and it's one of those things that's like surf ninjas. It's just it is just the most '90s name they could have given <laughs> to this film. Like you can't think of a more like 90s thing to call this like what what else would you call it right something ninjas because another thing that was really big in the early 90s was california uh california oh, yeah. and surfer culture and all that kind of stuff like the the carefree california life like that was really really big in like pop culture at that point um so you just took two of the most popular things right there and stuck them together and you got surf ninjas <laughs> which is uh which is a movie that was made <laughs> and I watched I watched it a lot when I was a kid. And, and what, so, like I said, how did, you, how, oh, did you how did you get introduced to this film in the first place? That's a great question. I I honestly don't remember. Um, I was kind of born watching it. I think is, uh, is like, no, I, like I. So I was I was ten when this movie came out, which was okay. The peak receptive time for me to like want to watch this movie because, like, as a 10 year old in 1993, like, you <laughs> loved the Ninja Turtles, you loved ninja sure. stuff, you loved like because it was it just seemed so cool, you know, when you when you were a kid, when you were 10 years old, right? All the stuff seemed so awesome, right? So, I think it must have been, I, I can narrow it down to a couple things. Uh, it was possible that my friend had the VHS and I watched it at, like their house or something and I saw it the first time. Uh, it is also possible because for my birthday every year, one of the traditions that we had is we got to go to the video store and rent a video that we wanted to watch. And so I might have picked it. I could totally see myself picking this in that scenario. Um, and, uh, you know, it, so it's it's one of those things where either my friend had the VHS, uh, which is an old videotape. They were things about this big. And you put them, they're like giant cassettes. Well, you don't know what a cassette is either. But anyway, there was this big plastic thing with like a ribbon inside that had the movie on it. And you put them in a the thing that read it and put it on the TV. So it was either my friend of the VHS or I rented it for my birthday or something like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I watched it and I just remember really, really enjoying it and uh, thinking it was hilarious. And, uh, you know, so we watched a bunch of times. I had a group of friends. We all, we all liked watching it. But you know, I, I admit I was I was fully enamored with the everything that existed in the early 90s at that point in my life. And 
you know, I was 10 years old. What do you expect? What do you expect? <laughs> we're, all su we're all susceptible it's, to marketing at that age. Sure. It's just like a very, I'm asking because it's a very niche movie and I had never seen it or heard of it. I and, have no idea. And, you know, clearly it's it's not on any streaming services now. Nobody even remembers no. that this existed. And especially no. compared to other similar films, like you referenced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which a lot of people have seen and is still going Three on Ninjas. today. Or, or Much bigger. Yeah, Three Ninjas, yeah. Karate Kid, uh, yep. which now through Cobra Kai is, is like kind of back in the, the social consciousness. But these were all very, It was very, still very, very big back when it came out too, so. Oh, it was, yeah. Karate Kid was huge when it came out, which is why Cobra Kai exists now, right? So yeah. Um, yeah. it's just surprising because this was not a big film when it was released and indeed is now basically completely forgotten as far as I can tell. Yeah, go. I honestly don't remember. I think, you know, I've got a feeling... I've got a feeling it must have been because when was TMNT two? It was right before this, um, I think. That's what I thought. I thought that was ninety two, ninety one. Okay, so all right, so I I've got a feeling. I don't know for sure, but I've got a feeling it was one of those birthday rental scenarios. I bet I saw the cover of the box. I was like, "Hey, that's Kino from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: The Secret of the Ooze." Hey, they're they're they've got ninjas. They're on surfboards. It looks cool, and I I bet I picked it. I, I don't remember 100%, but I am guessing that I saw the box art in a video store, a video rental store, and I picked it. Yeah. I so I, and I, I think that that's one of the interesting things, at least that I miss oftentimes about, you know, Blockbuster going away is that you would just go into the store and look through all the old movies and read all the like jackets the and see and, and just yeah. like find out, find something that you thought sounded good that you had never heard of before and then go, go watch it at home. Right. Um, so I do miss the kind of browsing aspects of watching films because you got to see yeah. a lot of things that you would probably never have experienced. Otherwise you didn't know about everything in advance back then. Um, which was, yeah, there was, there was a sense of discovery that existed back then that just, doesn't exist anymore, frankly. And so that that was that was fun. But here, I found the VHS uh, copy for Surf Ninjas. And it does have a very <laughs> very cool cover. It's got uh, um, uh, Rob Schneider uh, at the top of the box art with a spear and a big smile on his face. Very strange. Here, I'll send you, I'll send you the link I'm looking at. Uh, we'll, put, we'll put it um, up for you guys. Yeah, so, I, and I'll read you the back of it. Uh, I'll read you the back of uh, Surf Ninjas because uh, we got to fill time, so... Uh, so the, the, there's a quote at the back that says a wise cracking, lively action comedy, uh, credited to David Crumpler, Florida times union, which sounds like a made up name. If I gotta be honest, that <laughs> might not be Crumpler. a real review. David Crumpler. Um, if you're out there, David, let us know. Did you really think surf ninjas was wise cracking live, lively action comedy? Uh, so the back says, this is what I read to pick it. Apparently, uh, surfs up. And so is a tidal wave of hilarious head spinning martial arts action and laughs. In this outrageous fantasy adventure. Oh, they do acknowledge this fantasy. Starring, there are mystical aspects of it. Starring Ernie Rice Jr., uh, Leslie Nielsen, Rob Schneider, and Tone Loke. Tone Loke was a selling point of this. Um, apparently, it was another movie called Poetic Justice. Don't know what that was. Life is a beach, get it? For laid-back California surfer teens, Johnny and Adam, until two brothers, until the two brothers discover they're actually long-lost princes of a South Sea Island paradise. Paradise? Unfortunately, between the boys and their destiny stands the island's demented despot, Colonel Chi, half man, half machine, all bad. With the help of some oddball allies and some very cool ancient magic, the two brothers are transformed from mere surfers into way awesome ninja super dudes. 
Join our heroes comical quest for freedom, justice, and some primo wave shredding action in Surf Ninjas. Wow. <laughs> it's actually a good blurb. It is. Yeah, way awesome ninja super dudes is how I would describe them, the two of them. Well, they're not ninjas, though. Yeah. The ninjas are the ones that So, so Johnny could arguably be considered a ninja. Because ninja was the catch-all term yes. for all martial artists at the time, right? Because he's definitely not a ninja. And, he just he just is a warrior. He's not a ninja prince. My, he's a warrior I prince. mean, forgive my lack of, of historical acumen here, but, but I believe ninjas came more or less from the peasantry that was fed up with the ruling class and had to create certain ways of killing through subterfuge and things like that uh an uprising if you will to a certain extent and i mean the other problem is that they're just literally japanese yeah. and these guys are southeast asian so that is one of the main <laughs> issues isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that is i was trying to find some sort of parallel the padasani rebellion all right but uh that is the that is the main problem that they are they are in fact not japanese but it, um, you know this was part of the kind of oriental orientalism of the the late 80s and early 90s yeah. in America because also the whole the whole Japanese fad was absolutely enormous during that time um you know totally. it was a lot of companies were talking about the efficiency of Japanese companies and Japanese companies is like Toyota were the envy of the American corporate world and there's mm -hmm. a lot of people who are importing like uh, Japanese corporate management techniques into the West. And there was a lot of, you know, this was the rise of, you know, children doing karate and, and stuff, which is obviously where Karate Kid came judo. from. Yeah, yeah judo um, and then Taekwondo later on, which is, you know, Korean. But, um, you know, there was there was in I the did 80s Taekwondo and... in the early 90s. I was <laughs> there, one of those kids. I, gave, I made it to green belt and then my <laughs> my uh, teacher quit. Oh, you were that bad. Huh? Not because of me. No, no, I made my green belt. I was, I was doing great. My sidekicks were amazing. But, uh, but anyway, you're right. There, there was a huge obsession with Japan at that point, and and uh, as that that obsession manifested itself in a love of ninjas, uh, and but really, when we say ninjas at this era, it's like a love of martial arts, uh, which was big in film and television and cartoons and action figures and all that. So yeah. yeah that's, and, and yeah. And I would say, you know, there was an opportunity here to do a Southeast Asian martial art, obviously, like that would have been interest sure. more interesting, but it wouldn't have sold because everybody knew what fucking ninjas were and nobody had any idea what Southeast Asia was at the time. We and also had Sagat from Street Fighter doing Muay Thai. <laughs> yeah, basically. Sagat from Street yeah. Fighter. Uh, yeah. oh, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but and also, like, I think one of the problems with actually having it literally be set in Thailand is uh, the Thai monarchy is highly revered in Thailand, and the implications of killing them in a movie would probably be extremely offensive, to put yeah, it mildly. Yeah. Like, probably really yeah. offensive. So I I think that it's probably a good call they made it a, a fictional But you country. draw a little, you take a marker and you draw a little <laughs> island on a map east of Vietnam and call it, call it Papisan, and you're, you're in you're great good. shape. You're in great shape. Um, Moto Surf. You remember that scene? Yes. The beginning with they're yeah. in a Jeep. They're, they're they, in a VW thing, dude. It's not a Jeep. Oh, it's that's a VW right. thing. VW thing. But so they so just explain in case you're because uh, I'm I'm guessing a few of you out there aren't familiar with moto surfing. It's it was sort of moto surfing is sort of like the proto ride the whip, uh, <laughs> where it's like. You get uh, it, you you don't get out of your car while it's going down the street, but if you are in a convertible, you stand up 
uh, and pretend you're surfing in it. Uh, if all the occupants are doing that, uh, or using like a, a paddle to pretend you're paddling, you're moving vehicle down the street, uh, when in fact it's it's driving uh, via its gasoline engine, uh, that is called moto surfing. Um, and uh, it was it's a it's a point in the movie that's very memorable. That's another thing my friends and I would would yell whenever we're like on something moving and we're like we'll pretend to start surfing and yell moto surf. So yeah, that is that is also a thing. Well, there that you happened. go. I, so I had a childhood. Let's let's wrap this up. I thought this was really funny. Yeah. It's worth an hour and a half of your time. It's not. Yeah. It was surprisingly enjoyable. It was surprisingly enjoyable. It is not funny for any of the reasons why it tries to be funny. It is funny, ironically, because it is so terrible. Uh, and it is just horribly written. And it, because it is just a giant pile of cliches all lumped mm -hmm. one on top of the other into a horrific mess. And watching it, watching it is at least mildly amusing. It's an experience that you will treasure for the rest of your life. <laughs> I certainly that's won't forget I'm, it. I will tell you that. It, it, yeah. yeah. Unlike a lot of other movies, I've forgotten 90% of the Marvel movies that existed. I will not be forgetting this. So what is a better See? use of your time? Probably Juan this movie. dudes. Quan <laughs> Su dudes. Yeah. Let's shred. Quan Su dudes. Quan Su you know, if you've seen Surf Ninjas, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, also, just as an aside, one of the weirder parts of this movie, in, as far as, you know, things that people don't understand, is when Kelly Hughes, whose character uh, says something to those soldiers that gets them to follow her, even though she's supposed to be a young teenager. Oh, and then oh, she says, oh, yeah. Johnny, Johnny asks her what she said, and she says, I'll tell you on our wedding night. What'd you say to them? You'll find out on our wedding night. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, that whole that whole subplot can be very uncomfortable at times. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> hey. It's all right though. It's all fine because it's surf ninjas. And that's just the way surf ninjas is. Well, well, thank you, Doa. Uh, hopefully some of you made it through this in spite of not knowing what the fuck Surf Ninjas was. <laughs> uh, I, I hope you had a richer experience for it. Uh, we are going to continue with Loki next week. And then uh, we've got our, what is that, Monarch Rise of the Monsters? Well, I thought we were going to watch a different thing. Uh, yeah, Scavenger's the, uh, Reign. The animated, so, yeah, yeah. So there is on... On Max, I can't call it HBO Max anymore. On Max right now, there is a a show called Scavengers Reign, which is a science fiction show that is looks actually very good. And so maybe Doa, maybe Doa for the first time ever, we can actually watch something that's very good. Are you hopeful? Oh, <laughs> uh, given our track record, no. But like, uh, I hope so. And and I will I, say this. I will say this. I, I need to start watching more things that you suggest because I feel like we've been watching a lot of stuff that's come from like my side of things, you know? <laughs> no, it's um, not about it's not about stuff I suggest, Doa. It's about sure, sure. it's about this is what is coming out and it's all crap. You know, that I, I'm is sure a season, major issue. I'm sure season two of Andor will be really good, um, but I'm hopeful yeah. for Scavenger's Reign. So this has been something that I've I've been hearing about and has been um, you know very well received. So we'll do Loki. We'll do some Scavenger's Reign. We'll do the mm. Monarch Rise of Monsters, which is the new Kurt Russell uh, Godzilla show on Apple TV. Which I love Kurt Russell, so maybe there's some hope there as well. Yeah. Um, but we'll wrap up all that stuff in the coming weeks, guys. So you can look forward to that. We'll see you then.